Thanks to SheLens Consulting for sponsoring this episode of Latina South. Through their work with organizations like the Latin American Chamber of Commerce and Latino Community Fund of Georgia, SheLens helps organizations deliver culturally relevant entrepreneurship programs in both English and Spanish. Visit SheLens.com to find out more. Hola, I'm Adela Yelton, and thank you for joining us at Latina South. Latina South welcomes friendly conversations with Latinas and friends who live, work, and play throughout the South and Southeast. We'll enjoy some savory bits of wisdom while we share about what it takes to thrive in life while holding on to the best of what makes us Latinas in the South. Welcome. One of the things that I would say is that I thought is very important for, for me to run because the reality is no one else is going to come tell me what that experience is like. And it's one of those things is like that you really have to do to really understand what it takes, what's necessary. One of the things that I learned is what I still need to do, right, to uh, potentially be successful in the next time that I, I, I may run or may quite frankly do anything else. Today, in the second of two episodes, we welcome again Brenda Lopez-Romero. In this part of the conversation, Brenda talks about the changing demographics in Georgia, her Latina identity, including lingering issues within our own Latino community. She also reveals some critical lessons learned about what it takes to run for U.S. Congress in Georgia, a recent process she says she could only learn from by trying it for herself. I think you and I know just living in in Georgia and, and being kind of the few, a part of that small group of, of the first to the only different. Some people don't know what to do with us sometimes. And so what would you say to that? What were some experiences that maybe you had and that you don't mind sharing with our listeners? And I would start by where I am right now at the end, where a lot of the conversations of diversity is always in the context of black and white. And that is not the state of Georgia anymore, right? It hasn't been, quite frankly, the state of Georgia for, for probably close to a decade, but definitely not in 2021. And so right now, our challenge, I think, when we have different conversations about the diversity and inclusion, that the conversation goes be beyond uh, a black and white conversation and that our stories, both as a Latino community, as an AAPI community, as those of African diaspora, that those are part of the conversations of Georgia now. And, and we're not there yet. And we're most definitely not there politically in terms of whenever anyone discusses diversity or racial equity or racial disparities for that matter. And so I think that that's where we are now. Um, in terms of what my experience was growing up, I grew up in a very kind of insular community as it very much happens with the way school districts are drawn, where the communities of Buford Highway were kind of drawn in together. So that's why we ended up having such a, a boom in the number of particularly Latino and API students in, in the schools that I attended. And, but that being said, because of that, I kind of lived, you know, an insular life in the sense of like my communities and my school looked like me, right? Or in, in the sense of like they were different. So my first experience at realizing that I actually apparently was different or not from here or not American or some 
variation of that was when actually we, we moved to Roswell in Georgia, which is outside suburban area of what is Atlanta City proper. And that was the first time really that I, I was reminded constantly that I was different and that I was a foreigner for that matter, despite the fact that I had done all my education here in the United States and all of my life more or less here, right? But nonetheless, was always going to be viewed simply by appearances as, again, either foreigner or un-American. And how old were you? The high school, you know, we were probably starting like 14. And I got that feeling from both teachers and students alike. The first day that I walked into my English class, uh, the English teacher pulled me out of the class and she basically talked at me, telling me that I um, she was going to help me and place me in ESOL so that um, I can understand what was going on in class and, and help me do better in school. And and I'm looking at her like, but I speak English. <laughs> I, I've been in school since kindergarten here. Now here I am starting ninth grade, right? I'm like, I don't need to be in ESOL. Oh, but and, and even though I was like responding to her, she was she still said that, well, you know, it's probably better for me. It'd be easier for me to understand and learn more and have to go speak to the principal. And, and because she obviously wasn't listening, right? So it's things along those lines. That really throughout that year was rather difficult. That was probably one of my most difficult um, K through 12 experience that ninth grade year of um, kind of being picked at. And of course, things like racial slurs being said to me by by students, not only just because of ethnic background, but also really because of income level. Roswell, um, especially then, uh, it still is, but even more so then was predominantly and by predominantly, I mean, probably 95% white and very middle upper and middle upper class. The differences that I was, that I felt both the racial and economic differences than, than the other student peers. And so, you know, that, that was one of my real moments when, when I was constantly reminded about, again, just being different as far as they were concerned and definitely as they, as far as they were concerned, not being American. Right. And so, but then of course, earlier on in life, I had isolated experiences growing up, especially when we would venture outside of Metro Atlanta. Uh, my father liked going out to state parks and things along those lines. He likes nature and things. But to a certain extent, maybe at that point, I expected it after the first experience because, you know, we were going outside of a more diverse Metro Atlanta. But that ninth grade year was just, you know, a consistent kind of daily daily reminder about being different. And so, yeah, those, so those were the early experiences about being Latina in the state of Georgia, in the South. But even as, as again, as we get into older and kind of college years and professional aspect, it's different, but the same in a way. A lot of it has to do with what we had spoke already um, several times of the expectations that are laid on you, being told, you know, all of the how, how articulate you are. One of the things that I've gotten also as I've gotten into both college age and then in into professional track has been to be told that, oh, that they didn't think that I was um, Mexican. That's also been something very interesting because it's not just like Latina generally, but I've had that being said to me of other Latinos. They're like, oh, I, I wouldn't think you're Mexican, right? And then, so there's also like these other intra-community 
issues that we have that somehow the perception of what someone of Mexican heritage, of Mexican background ought to be or, or would do. And so I've had those experiences as well, uh, both from non-Latinos and Latinos alike. And actually will double ask me, are you sure you're from Mexico? I'm like, that's what the, that's what the birth certificate says. And I know you've been out of uh, high school for a while, although you're still very much early in your career. You know, there are uh, young people that are going through that today. Uh, and there's so much to learn about the complexities uh, within the Latino community, Latinx community. And I know different terminologies and perspectives and histories and cultures and languages, but it's almost like those tend to be advanced concepts for a lot of people. We just need to get to the basics, like step one, you know, let's practice a little bit more inclusion. There's still a way to go here. Okay. I know Georgia's changing. I know the South is changing, but, but it's, it does feel very much like baby step. What do you think about that? Oh, we definitely do. And especially as we're talking about sort of, you know, at the professional level, right? Um, the assumption is that, you know, the, the Latino community here in the state of Georgia, you know, it's, it's okay to have us when, you know, we're providing you a service or, or a product, but being on the professional side is still something that's unfortunately too, too far in between. And let's not even talk about not just being on the professional side, but being on the leadership side of whatever industry, that's even less far in between. We have a very long way to go still. Part of the reason for for using this platform to share stories is is to provide inspiration, but also educate folks about you know what's happening in the South, and also providing examples of of people like you that are pioneers that are at the forefront within this region. I don't want to miss the opportunity to talk about your experience most recently in running for uh, Georgia's seventh U.S. congressional district. That, that was a history-making, for all of us, actually, that was a history-making moment. What can you tell us about that experience? Well, I would want to start off by saying that that is uh, part of, again, when I go go talk to individuals, is that you 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 have to try, right? Just like like I said, you got to be present to win. Like, you can't win if you don't try. And, and that also means that, you know, at times um, you fail at things and, or things don't work out as, as you would prefer them to. You know, I start off with that because that, that, is, that is very important. A lot of times, not that I don't, I've, I felt it plenty of times, like, well, should I, you know, what if I don't, what if it doesn't work out? I have exactly the same feelings and, and I had exactly the same, uh, you know, thought, you know, run through my head, but you can't not do things because of that. You can't, you know, that's why I've always liked sort of that definition of courage is not the lack of fear, but courage is, is doing it despite the fear. Right. And, and so I think that that is that is very indicative of that. And so one of the things that I would say is that I thought is very important for, for me to run because the reality is no one else is going to come tell me what that experience is like. And it's one of those things is like that you really have to do to really understand what it takes, what's necessary. One of the things that I learned is what I still need to do, right, to uh, potentially be successful in the next time that I, I, I may run or may, quite frankly, do anything else. And so it, it really gave me a lot of lessons about what I still needed to do um, to continue to improve or to continue to increase uh, network or resources. And so it gave me that opportunity that I know, again, the reality is that no one else was going to be able to share or handhold me through the process. You know, I hope 
to be of benefit to anyone in, in the future that would decide to run, at least to be able to help a little bit more about those logistics and, and what that process looks like. Um, so that's one thing. And then on, on the other side, it also gave me kind of an understanding about my position as well, in the sense that I had lots of people, including uh, people that had been on the political side, very supportive of me running for office. Let me rephrase that. Not people that were supportive when I ran for office, but people that were supportive of me after I got elected and that were supportive of me during my runs in the state legislature. And those same individuals that gave me awards, that uh, donated to my state legislature campaigns or my reelection, that would have all sorts of great things to say about me and would say what a great job I was doing and how instrumental it was that I was there and how important my voice was and you name your compliment, right? It was those same individuals that called me or met with me to tell me that I should probably not run. I bulk the why reasons into three categories, which I found very interesting. I think very indicative of, again, of, of of the situation of our communities and just the situation of where we are just at, at the very, very forefront of, of really pushing again into, into leadership. And one of the first reasons why that I was given was that my voice was so important in the state legislature that I should probably, you know, just stay there because I was doing such a great job. And of course, for me, that's that's a little bit complicated. I'm like, never in any other career or professional situation would you tell someone that they're doing such a good job that they should not get promoted, for example, right? You th- That seems almost unheard of. And so that was one of the things that I found very interesting. And I was like, well, if I'm doing such a good job and if my voice is so important, then, then how much more could I do and how much more could the pla- important the platform be if congressional level, right? That was one set of um, reasons why. The other set that I got was um, the situation about, well, you know, if, if you're not successful and you won't be able to run for your state legislature seat, what are you going to do if you're not elected? And, and I found that very, very interesting as well, because um, I've noticed that, too, from different electeds, particularly people that have been elected for, let's just say, 10 plus years, right, that their identity of who they are and what they do revolves around being elected. Um, and so for me, when they said that, I'm like, well, if I'm not elected, I'm just not elected. You know what? I still have to pay my bills. So you know what I'm still going to have to do? I'm still going to have to work. That's not going to change. <laughs> and and so, you know, my life to a certain extent doesn't change much in that aspect. Career-wise, again, when I think about the work that I do, I think about the work that I do in advocacy and legal work. I never think about the work that I do in, in the sense of um, elected work. So I was like, yeah, so if I'm not elected, then I'll just go do the same things that I've been doing since I was a young person, right? Um, That's not going to change. It's interesting that people would say, well, what if you don't get elected? You're still a leader. You're still a pioneer. You still have, uh, you know, this tons of experience behind you. Like to me, that's a great launching pad for anything that you want to (laughs) do. That's true. And most importantly, like I said, right, but like, and bills still have to be paid, like that's not going to change. So I don't know about you. That's true. Let's keep it real. The bills still have to get paid. (laughs) That's right. So so that is what it is. And I think the third thing that I got a lot, which, which is, I guess, very similar to the to the first one about you, you're doing such a good job, you should stay in the state legislature was actually I had several non Latinos, of course, um, tell me that, I had such an important position as, as a Latina in politics 
you know, that I should continue basically growing and developing that. I didn't under, again, a lot of these things, when people were talking to me or were telling me these things, I, I I was wondering why this made sense in their head, right? That's what I was like, how does this make sense in your head? Again, I I don't know. It makes you wonder why, you know, why are you saying these things and and what is the overall intention? And, And really, Rinda, only you, right, can know why you're doing these things and what's best for you. I know you cherish very much your supporters and and, and people that help you in, in the infrastructure that you have. But at the end of the day, it's you, right? You're the one that has to decide the why and how you're you're going to move forward. Very, very interesting. The the different reasons people had offered to you not to do it. And so and and so that is what was said, right? But sort of in, in to make a little bit more context behind it, um, at that point when I was deciding and or had recently announced that I was I was gonna do the congressional race, at that point, the one of the other candidates, because there's multiple candidates in the field that was running again, had ran in the cycle before in 2018. And had come real short, like a couple hundred, you know, votes, five hundred plus votes of of flipping that to seat, right? And so by the time the state legislature had ended, which is when I wanted to announce, um, she had had like about a, a good six months of clear path of no other real viable candidates running, um, had continued again, kind of basically everyone that had supported her in the prior election cycle kind of got on the bandwagon of, of continuing to support her, um, you know, had continued to raise, a, you know, a, a lot of money during those six months. I said that she more or less had, had free access. and. Um, so, so a lot of that concern was that, you know, of the people, especially were saying, even though they were, quote unquote, very supportive of me in of me in the past in my elected capacity. And again, had, you know, quite frankly, at that time, I understood that that's what they were doing, um, whether they consciously think about it or not. But of course, you know, being utilized as a poster child for them. Right. Oh, look at us um, supporting again, this Latina, right, and how, how awesome we are for, for supporting her and for uh, asking her to speak here and speak there. Um, but when push came to shove and you needed to continue supporting me um, outside of supporting these same people that are part of your, your, your own background and your, your own um, more, more, con- more connected to you, right, the, 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 can- the then candidate for that primary um, She's a white woman, has had a long history of, of, of closer relationships with, with some of these individuals. Um, and so then it really got, it, it went all, again, back to the roots of things, right? You're going to support people that, um, that are part of your inner circle. That's just, that's just the reality. And regardless of how superficially I was promoted by these same individuals because it actually benefited them to do so, um, and it gave them a capacity to you know, show how, how inclusive and diverse they themselves were, um, when push came to shove, uh, the support wasn't there when the support needed to be against the white woman. And that's, you know, then that's just, you know, part of the reality of, of why that became what it was. You know, it seems like such is politics. But you mentioned something about, you know, inner circles, building those inner circles for ourselves, although we want to be inclusive of everyone. So it's a dichotomy, isn't it? On the one hand, you know, pursuing uh, inclusivity and, and diversity and, and representation. But on the other hand, 
when push comes to shove, we all kind of we all kind of go back to our, our inner circles in terms of of supporting for for these type of things. And so appreciate you offering the insight into your experience because the only way, like you said, you're going to find out what it takes, what it really takes is to do it, right? And then learn afterwards, okay, here's what I here's what I would do differently and here's what I need to do for next time. And Brenda, do you mind me asking, will there be a next time? <laughs> well, I, I put you on the spot. I, I know, right? No, listen, in all reality, I did take last year after the primary and then with the situation with COVID, you know, it's also been a very strange year for everybody, right? But I took a step back from a lot of things and it gave my opportunity, myself an opportunity to just do things for myself, right? Whether that was changing my, um, my cell phone plan because it was too high and I needed to lower it. I mean, literally basic little things like that that I hadn't done um, because it was not important. It was like the last priority, which meant it was never done. And so I took time to do that. I took some time to take a couple trips here and there and just, you know, just, just be a person and w- without the responsibility obligation of being somewhere all the time. And so I'm basically getting myself back situated into, into you know, what those next things are going to be. I, I definitely don't discard running for office again. That, that, that's definitely. For me, the question right now is when I would run and what I would run for. And so I, I haven't made you know, either of those two decisions. And that's, that's what I'm working on. But there's just a lot of other underlining work that, um, that I want to do first and kind of get myself ramped back up to, to, you know, do the running around that that needs to be done. Um, I've started recently also a new role with um, newly elected um, Winnet District Attorney Patsy Austin Gatson, and doing some, hoping to do some, um, really new perspective on criminal justice, on sort of more restorative justice issues. Um, and so think things along of, of, of com- conviction integrity units for people that have wrongful uh, claims of wrongful conviction based on actual innocence and doing sentencing reviews for excessive sentencing. So a lot of really great stuff that I think is important and, and, and also shows why it matters, right? Who, who gets elected. And so, you know, that's something that I want to concentrate some time on because I think it's really good work that can be done. And so that's where I am. And I think that maybe later on towards the end of this year, especially after the when, when the midterm elections really start back up after this November, I think that, um, well, I'll, I'll 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 be in a better situation myself in terms of getting all of these things that I want to get out of, uh, done out of the way, but also uh, to see how that midterm um, gets itself worked out. Since I am chairing the Winnet County Democratic Party as well, then after the midterms, I think I'll have a better idea. You just let us know <laughs> when you're ready or when you decide, <laughs> you know, what you want to do and what's right for you, whether it's out front or behind the scenes, uh, because something I do want people to know is that there's so much work that needs to get done. And, you know, the, the actual running for political office, the actual position with the candidate is only one piece. It's a huge piece, but it's only one piece. And there's just so much work to do. And we appreciate all the work that you do. I would say that being said, one last thing that I would say is that for those 
listening and they're interested in running for office to please feel free to reach out to me and whatever that is, whether they want to run for the municipal elections this year, since we're having city elections or any other desires to run for any other level, um, whether it's here in the state of Georgia or elsewhere, we, we need to find candidates and we need to have find good candidates. And we most definitely need to find more candidates of, of Latino background to run. So I'm looking, please run for office. That's great. And I know you're genuine about that. Reach out to you, reach out to me, reach out to both of us, uh, you know, so that we can make connections with the right people and provide the support. Any final words of wisdom that you would like to leave with our listeners? I think just sort of a recap of what we have been discussing is that everything takes work. I I don't know of a magic formula, right? A lot of people ask, well, how do you do this? And how do you get that done? And um, I don't know of that magic formula other than putting in a lot of hard work. And especially the more obstacles, barriers, um, structural issues that you have in your life and in your background, the harder you're going to have to work. And that's just the reality of the circumstances that we live in. And so you just have to Put in the work. And and I, and as we had mentioned already, once you do that, I think that a lot of other great people along the way see your efforts, see that you're, you know, the work that you're trying to do and will help lighten that burden just a tad bit more. And um, eventually that way we can, we can get to where, where we want to go. And thank you for those words. And how can we best support you and your work? I know you put in a lot of work every day in different aspects of, of what you're passionate about. What would you like us to do if there's an action item or call to action for the rest of us to help support you and your work? Well, for anyone that wants to do something about something, whatever that might be, you have to put in time, talent, and treasure, right? I, I don't care what it is. I don't care if you want to support your local nonprofit that does education issues or that does, you know, youth empowerment, um, whatever it is. If, if you are concerned about, you know, our political situation, uh, of course, you know, aside from voting, um, you have to actually be involved, you know, being it, particularly in the political context, it's a physical, um, physical contact sport sitting at home and saying, hey, you know, this isn't wrong, or I wish this would be different is not good enough. Again, if you're not providing of your time, of your own talent, of your own treasure, then you're not helping us do do the work. And so that's what I would ask. I would ask everyone to pitch in a combination of all of those three things. Um, In in whatever context of work that you want to do, there's always multiple issues and concerns that we need to deal with, whether it's homelessness, I mean, you name it, whatever is most important to you, whatever has resonates best, you know, in your heart, about things that you want to see improved, then you have to make sure that you're out there giving giving of giving of yourself to do the work um, and not expect that someone else is, is going to do it. I agree with you 100%. Time, talent, and treasure and find a way, any of those, all of those uh, to, to issues that are important to you. Well, thank you, Brenda. I appreciate you uh, speaking with us on Latina South. Well, it's been, it's been my pleasure and um, I'm excited to be able to chat with you at a later time when we have more updates. Likewise. And I look forward to following you and your continued success. Thank you so much. Take care. You too. In case you missed it, be sure to listen to the first episode where Brenda shares more about her early life and how it feels to be among the first in the few. She also talks about what we can do to offer young people exposure to the places where decisions are made. You can find the first episode and more at latinasouth.com. 
And thank you for listening to us on Latina South. And I want to thank some people that help this show happen behind the scenes, like Jennifer Hutchison on social media. And thank you to the OGs who offer their music to us called Higher. You can find a link to that in the show notes. Also, please share this episode with a friend or leave a review. It's one of the best ways to support our show. Hasta la próxima. See y'all.